Um, welcome to Denton North. We're glad you're here today. Um, if this is your first time with us, welcome. We know virtual is kind of a weird place to be a first timer, um, but we're glad that you joined in and we hope to get to meet you. And uh, for those of you that are here every Sunday, I love to see your faces here. And I am so thankful for you and your consistency and being with us each week. So thank you for being here. Um, just a couple of announcements. The first one is that our prayer meeting with uh, the shepherds, with Dawn and Kurt, had to be rescheduled last week. And we're going to reschedule that for Monday, March the 1st, from 7 to 8. And so if you don't know what that's about, um, our shepherds just wanted to have a time of prayer where you could be with them and they could pray for some of your needs and where all of you could pray together for our church and our community. And so if that's something that you wanna participate in, then put Monday, March the 1st from seven to eight on your calendar and watch for a Zoom link. A Zoom link will come out for that. Um, but again, I just think that's really important for our church to get to spend time in prayer over things that are near uh, to your heart and over things that um, will be a benefit to our church family and to the Denton community. Also, Sunday, March 14th is our target date for meeting in person again. Uh, we'll be meeting outdoors like we were before at the GDAC. Um, so everybody will need to bring your chair, everybody will need to wear a mask, and we will be social distancing, but we will be together in person, which is something we can look forward to. So again, that target date is Sunday, March the 14th. We're going to start with worship this morning, and so I'm going to turn it over to Aaron to get us going. Yeah, it's, it's Manny. I have one more announcement um, for the, the cohort. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so um, we'll be doing some cohort info sessions coming up, um, probably sometime in March. Uh, so as you guys know, we've been doing the pastoral cohort for a couple of years now, um, but the next cohort will start in June. So we want to give people a chance that are interested to learn more about what the cohort is, uh, a chance to uh, hear about our experiences, what the cohort is, uh, and just answer some questions. Um, but yeah, the info sessions will be uh, in March, which will be in a few weeks, and we'll probably announce it again once we have like a date set. Um, but if you're already interested, feel free to reach out to Hannah, Ryan, or me, and we can get you guys um, more information and follow up with you about um, the info sessions. All right. Good morning. So for worship today, um, we're going to utilize the same three questions uh, to respond to uh, in response to a couple passages of scripture. But we're going to do the format of that just a little bit differently. Same question, same kind of concept, but just the format's going to be a little bit different. Um, I'll kind of explain that format, but I'll guide us through step by step as we go um, so that you know what to do. But the way we're going to format it today is uh, we'll have those passages of scripture read three separate times, the same passages. And after each uh, reading, will respond to one of the questions. So the same three questions that we always do, but we'll do one question at a time. And instead of doing them in groups, you're gonna do it on your own. So at the very end, we'll break into groups for a brief amount of time to discuss just what you took away. But uh, leading up to that, it'll be on your own. So I would encourage you, 
in order to get the most out of this, um, you know, set up your environment in such a way that you limit distractions. You can really engage with these passages of scripture. Um, you create a space where you can uh, be attentive to the spirit and be aware of what he might be saying to you through these passages. Um, so, you know, whatever that may be, if you need to move into a different room, that's quieter, you need to turn the TV off, you need to, whatever that may be, um, think about those different things to help you really give this time to God and be a time of worship that you can engage and hear from him. We do want to study these scriptures, but we also want to give some time to let those scriptures, um, really speak to us at a heart level and an emotional level as well. So we can really worship and engage with God, um, in that way too. Um, so another thing that might be helpful if you have a journal, so you can write down some notes or some thoughts, you might get a journal out. Um, and then, like I said, we're going to be using scripture. So get a Bible out so that you can look at those passages as well. Um, so like I said, I'll kind of guide us through step-by-step what to do. Um, but this first part will mostly just be, um, giving you direction and then you on your own reflecting question by question on, the passages of scripture. Um, so right now, in general, the series that we're doing for worship is around the fall. Um, and today, the specific sub theme within the fall that we're looking at is shame and hiding. And so we see Adam and Eve um, and their example of once they ate from the fruit, they knew shame and they hid. When God spoke to them, they hid from him um, out of shame. And so we're just going to look at that idea and um, focus on some different passages that talk about shame and hiding and things like that. So that's kind of what we're addressing or talking about today with worship um, and the two passages of scripture that we're going to look at. So if you want to pull those up um, is Genesis 3, go back to that, 8 through 13. So that's Genesis 3, 8 through 13. And then also Hebrews 4, 12 through 16. And you can also, for future reference as well, anytime we do these worship activities, we always put the, the questions, the scripture, whatever we're utilizing in the newsletter, and we post it on the Facebook group. So if you need to, if you didn't get those scriptures, you can find them in either of those places um, as well. And here in a minute, I'll put them in the chat for you. Um, so those are the, the scriptures we're going to look at three different times, same scriptures, but at three separate times. Um, so what we're going to do first is um, we're just going to spend some time praying. And that's kind of, you know, typically what we recommend when you're in your group, start out with prayer, you know, spend some time on it. Don't um, rush into it. And so that also just applies with this general worship activity today, you know, prepare, like sit down, like I talked about, create a space where you're ready. We're going to be here for a little bit. We're going to engage with the passages of scripture. We want to like give some, a proper amount of space to be attentive to what God might be trying to communicate to you. Um, so, um, be ready for that. Settle in. We're going to spend some time on these passages, um, and in prayer today. Um, so I'm going to just pray for us. And then the first thing that you'll do is then you'll have around five minutes or so on your own by yourself, not with the people in you. If you're uh, at your house, you have multiple people or anything like that. You're praying on your own. We're not going to split into groups or anything like that. This is just you praying by yourself 
with your mic muted. Um, and so some prayer points or things to be thinking about for this is asking the Lord to lead our time, asking him to direct you as you read through those scriptures, asking him to speak to you uh, if there's anything he need, he's trying to address or show you or point out to you through these passages of scripture. Um, and then if you need further things to pray about, just praise him, thank him for who he is, um, praise him and thank him for things that he's been doing around you or in your life or people around you, things like that. So just addressing him, we want to start with prayer so that we can put our attention and our time on him. And we start this, um, putting him at the center of this, this activity and this time. So I'm going to pray and then you guys will have around five minutes to just pray on your own. And then I will, um, get back on and I'll tell you what we're going to do next. So Lord, we thank you for this time that we have together today. Um, Lord, lead us in um, this process of reading scripture and looking at your word. Help us to engage with you. Um, help us to set aside just distractions or things that may be hindering us from hearing from you. Um, and if there are things, Lord, that you want us to bring to you and to discuss with you during this time, make us aware of those things. Help us to just give you proper space and time to engage with us and speak to us, uh, lead us, Lord. We love you and we praise you. We thank you for your presence and being with us um, and for taking care of us and providing for us. Um, lead us in this time. Amen. So again, spend a little time and I'll, I'll jump back on and I'll tell us what we're doing next, but go ahead and pray in your own time for now. All right, so I'm going to lead us in the next part. So what we're going to do from here is I'm going to have Shayla read the two passages of scripture that we're going to use, which is Genesis 3, 8 through 13 and Hebrews 4, 12 through 16. So if you want to pull that up, you can, if you just want to listen um, and engage just by listening to what has Shayla reads, that's great as well. Um, I posted those in the chat. And then after she reads, we're going to do the same thing. You'll have a few minutes to reflect on now the question with, that we always start with, which is, what does this say about the heart of God? And I'll put that in the chat here in a minute. So you have that question. So she'll read the passages of scripture. And then on your own, you'll have time to reflect on that question. Is what, does, what do these passages say about the heart of God? So... With that, you can journal some things. Maybe there's some specific things that jump out to you, a, words, a couple words, or there's a sentence or just some thoughts that immediately come to your mind. Maybe you want to journal those down that demonstrate something about the heart of God. Maybe you just want to sit and you want to think about um, various ways through these passages that you see his heart and how that plays into your day-to-day -day life or things that you've maybe already been learning or thinking about him. Um, and if you need other conversation points or things within that time, you can ask the Lord, you can continue in prayer and ask him, Lord, what does this say? These, what do these passages say about your heart? What is, what is your heart? What aspects of your heart are being demonstrated here? Um, and, and listen and see if you um, hear from him or if there's a response or anything that you might gather from praying and asking him. Um, those questions as well. So Shayla, you can go ahead and read those passages. Uh, Genesis 3, 8 through 13. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Then the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then Hebrews 4, 12 through 16. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have the one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thanks, Shayla. So again, on your own, we're not breaking into groups or anything. This is just by yourself. Reflect on the question, what does this say about the heart of God? And then I'll bring us back together in a few minutes. All right. So now we're going to read the passage again one more time. And Quincy is going to read that for us. So while he pulls up those scriptures, the next question that you'll um the next question that you'll be working from is uh, just what might God be saying to you through these passages and what might he be saying to our community? So that can also be building off of the last question of what do these passages say about the heart of God? So there's something that you learned or you saw in regards to his heart through these passages, what maybe is he communicating to you um, through that or to our community? Um, so that's one way to kind of be continuing to build off of what you've maybe already, um, thought about or heard from God. And in this question as well, if you're not, you're not hearing something specific, you're not sure if you're hearing something in regards to what God is saying to you, that's totally fine. Um, that's why we, we say, what might he be saying? You know, give yourself the space to think about what might he be saying to you, even if you're not sure if it's something he's saying to you specifically or not, or to our community. Give yourself the time to kind of write that down and think through, does this align with what he's saying in this passage of scripture? Does this align with his character that we see in scripture and who he is? Could this be something that he's wanting me to learn or think about or that he's wanting me to direct me in or teach me or the same for our community? Um, so the, the goal of this one is to just give yourself some space to really think about maybe what is it that he's pointing out to you specifically and to our community. So Quincy, if you want to go ahead and read those passages again. Genesis 3, 8 to 13. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, 
where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Hebrews 4, 12 to 16. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our, with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he hid, he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thanks, Quincy. So again, on your own, with on your own, not in groups or anything like that, reflect on the question, um, what might God be saying to you or to our community through these passages? And I'll put those in the chat and you can start that now. All right, so we're going to read the scripture one last time. This will be the last time we read it. And we're going to do the final question, which is just what response do you have to all of this? So the questions that you've, that we've gone through, the passage of script, passages of scripture, what response can you give to God? And so that maybe is a response of praying and praising him for something that you learned about him or his character or his heart. Maybe it's a practical thing you feel like you need to implement or start doing. Um, maybe it's something that you just want to read and research more or learn more about that you saw through these passages. Um, any, maybe it's talking with a friend and confessing or talking about something going on in your life. Um, what response would you have for God? So Justin is going to read the passages. And then this time um, we're going to break into groups just for a few minutes. And that'll be the last thing that we do. And you can share just in general, what responses that you, you have, what things you might want to implement or do, or that you learned with the group. Um, so Justin, if you want to go ahead and read those this last time. All right. Genesis three, eight through 13. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me? She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And Hebrews 4. Pull it up here. 
12 through 16. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thanks, Justin. So uh, I think Josh is going to put us into groups. So you should see that show up on the screen and you can share just what um, response that you have into uh, after all of this. Okay, it looks like most everybody's back. I just want to take a second to thank our worship team for how thoughtful and intentional they've been in leading us through worship. And worship is about putting God in his right place and thus putting us in our right place compared to him. And so I hope that when you think about our service on Sundays, that you think about every part of it as being worship. Like I hope that when we do the sermon, that it helps you figure out what is your right place in comparison to God. And what is God's right place in your life? So as we go into the sermon, I would just encourage you to consider this a continuation of worship, not the thing that comes after worship. This has been a really weird week. Um, in a lot of ways, I feel like we went into a time warp because it feels like years, not days, since we met last Sunday. And last Sunday, I was excited that we were going to get some snow uh, but as the week went on, it got really scary in wondering, are we going to have heat? Are we going to have light? Um, not being able to drink our water unless we've boiled it. Um, and it was just really a, a weird, weird week. And the crazy thing about it is that I felt like 2020 had really prepared me for things can change very quickly. And yet I was caught by surprise this past week when things changed like they did. And in the middle of all of this, we had some people join us for dinner one night this last week. And for the most part, while they were there, we didn't have any power. We were very fortunate that we have a gas grill. So we were able to cook and have a pretty nice meal despite the fact that we were in the dark. Um, and while normally I cannot imagine inviting people over to my house for dinner when I didn't have power, it reminded me of a few things. Um, it reminded me that things don't have to be perfect to be hospitable. It reminded me that I don't have to have everything I want in order to be thankful. And it reminded me that oftentimes simple is better. Um, and so I think I got some good reminders and some good lessons. Those certainly weren't the only ones. And I know that there were people that were in way more dire situations than we were this week. But last Friday, in anticipation of the snow and possibly ice, I went to the grocery store. And when I got there, the parking lot was completely full. 
And when I went in, there were zero grocery carts and zero of those little baskets that you carry on your arm and put stuff in. And so I just started walking around grabbing things and I'm trying to balance them all in my arms. I've got them stacked just so, so they don't fall. And this lady looked at me and said, you need a cart. And I said, oh, it's okay. There's not any more, you know, I'll make do, it'll be fine. And she was like, no, no, I saw a cart over here. Somebody's abandoned it, you need it. And so she looked at her friend and she said, I'm gonna go and show her where this cart is. And then she looked at me and she said, follow me. And so I'm following her through the store with all my things in my hands and stuff. And she goes, here it is, here it is, it's still here. And there were items in the grocery cart. And so I said, oh, it looks like somebody else is using this. And she said, no, these same items have been here for quite a while. This has been abandoned. And so she starts taking all those items out of the basket. And as she does, she then starts taking my items and putting them all into the basket. And then she looks at me. And when she was satisfied that I was going to take the cart and and take all my stuff and, and have a cart to use, she said, that's better. And she turned around and walked off. And I was just thinking, what just happened? Like, I didn't ask her to find me a grocery cart. I certainly did not deserve to have a grocery cart over all these other people that were in the store, yet she freely did that for me. And that's grace. Grace is something that we don't deserve. I didn't deserve that. And as we continue through our series today on the consistency of scripture, we're gonna talk about the mercy of God and the grace of Jesus. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even while we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Because of God's mercy, we receive Jesus' grace. And there are three things I want you to remember from our time together this morning. And that's the first one. Because of God's mercy, we receive Jesus's grace. The second one is judgment and mercy are not at odds. Judgment and mercy are not at odds. And then the third one, Mercy and grace is for everyone. Mercy and grace is for everyone. So those are the three things I want you to listen for and the three things I really want you to remember. And what I'm gonna do is talk just a little bit and then I have two stories from the Bible that I think illustrate this. Chels, the first one was because of God's mercy, we received Jesus's grace. Also, what was the verse from Ephesians? Two, four, and five. Okay, are you ready? Okay, the Old Testament might focus more on God's judgment rather than his mercy, but you're not reading closely if you don't see God's mercy throughout the Old Testament. I want to read a verse from Exodus 34, 6 and 7, but I want to give you just a little bit of background before I read that to you. God has um, freed the Israelites from slavery to the Egyptians. He has dried up the Red Sea 
when Pharaoh's army was chasing them so that they had a way of escape. He has made a covenant with them to obey everything he's commanded, and they've wholeheartedly agreed. And then before the ink is even dry on the Ten Commandments, the people have built a golden calf, an idol, and begin worshiping it. They've broken the first commandment. And so God has to punish that sin, but he doesn't destroy them. And I want you to hear how God describes himself in uh, this situation. This is Exodus 3, 34, 6 and 7. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving with wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. This particular passage occurs eight times in the Old Testament. It summarizes God's character as demonstrated by his actions. And it is reminded to us over and over again in the Old Testament. A good God cannot ignore evil and injustice. A good God has to exercise judgment and discipline. So there has to be a balance between mercy and justice, between mercy and judgment. Sometimes he hands us over to the consequences of our choices. And sometimes he extends mercy in the severity of those consequences or in experiencing those consequences. I hear people say a lot that the Old Testament God and the New Testament God don't um, line up, that they're very different, that the God of the Old Testament is an angry and unforgiving God. Yet we see here that God reveals himself as in terms of his grace and his love and his mercy. His mercy is woven throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelations. In John 5, 19, Jesus says he does nothing but what he sees his father doing. So when we look at the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we're seeing God's mercy. God's grace, Jesus's grace is God's mercy. I know I've talked to you over and over again about this cycle that we see in the Old Testament, but it's just so striking to me and so representative of God's mercy. But the Israelites grumble against God, they break his commands, they worship false idols, and they do that time and time again. They turn away from God, they become their own God and do whatever they wanna do. They lose God's protection, they suffer the consequences of that. They return to God and beg him to rescue them. And what does he do? Over and over and over again, he rescues them. And then the cycle starts over and continues. Sometimes there were lasting consequences for their choices, but God showed way more mercy than was deserved time and time and time again. God is a God of judgment and a God of mercy. They are not mutually exclusive. He is a good, wise judge. 
He doesn't let the guilty go unpunished. I don't want to live in a world where the guilty go unpunished, where people just are able to perpetrate hurt and injustice on other people with no checks in place. Judgment and mercy are not at odds with each other. They coexist. And then mercy and grace are for everyone. God's character, as Garrett said a couple of weeks ago, has not changed. Jesus is the God of the Old Testament, and they are consistent. Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And listen to what 2 Timothy 1.9 says. He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, before the beginning of time. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus were not God's backup plan. Because of God's mercy from the before the beginning of time, the grace of Jesus has been his plan. The mercy of God is the grace of Jesus. I've chosen two stories for us to look at, um, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament that I hope will illustrate this consistency throughout the Bible. The first one is in the Old Testament and it's the story of Rahab. And I want to read this to you from Joshua 2, 1 through 21, and then I'll skip over and read the end of the story in chapter 6. So starting in Joshua 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. I just realized I need to give you a little bit of background on this right here. So where we are right now is Moses has died. Joshua has taken over leadership and the people of Israel are entering the promised land to take what God has promised to them. And Jericho is the first city that they run up against that they're going to have a conflict with. And so that's what this story is about. So Joshua has sent spies into Jericho to see what it is they're going to face there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Now, my first question here is what made this prostitute so brave as to lie to the king. She's risking her life here and the life of all of her family when she lies to the king like that. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, 
I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There's the reason for Rahab's courage. Somehow this woman has heard about the God of Israel and she believes in him. And that gave her the courage to lie to the king. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, the oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and sisters and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in her window. Okay, fast forward. So the um, spies go back and they tell Joshua that, yes, we can take Jericho. We've got this. We can do this. And so all of Israel packs up and moves into this land and camps outside of Jericho. And God tells them to take priests who are blowing trumpets, to take the Ark of the Covenant, and to take the fighting men and to march around the city of Jericho. And they're to do that once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they're to do it seven times and then shout and the walls of the city will fall down and they can take the city. Does that sound like a good plan to you? <laughs> if I had heard this plan, I would have been like, what? I don't think that's going to work. God, are you sure you didn't have more to this? But that's what God tells them to do. And everything happens exactly like God tells them. The walls of the city fall down. They go in and they take the city. And then this is what happens with Rahab and her family. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in court in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, 
because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. That's an important part. I want you to remember that. She lives among the Israelites to this day. So Rahab is referred to as a prostitute three times in this scripture. She was a marginalized woman in three ways. She was a Canaanite. She was an enemy of the Israelites. She was a woman and she was a prostitute. She couldn't have been marginalized any more than she was. But somewhere along the way, she heard about God and she believed in him. So when the two spies sought shelter in her home, she bravely bargained for her life as well as the life of her family. She asked for mercy and they gave her mercy. And one thing I want you to notice here is that not only is our God a merciful God, that he expects his people to be merciful people. When the spies handed Rahab the scarlet cord to put in her window, I believe that had some significance to it. It could be that the scarlet cord was the only thing around. And so maybe at the time it didn't have significance to them, but it does to us. Scarlet is the color of blood. And it's not a far stretch to think that the spies would have been reminded about the stories they'd heard about Passover and about how the people had to go inside the house and put blood on the doorpost and down the sides and stay inside in order to be passed over and not suffer the 10th plague like the Egyptians did. If you think forward to Jesus, we see scarlet again in his blood that he shed on the cross for us to save us. I want you to see that there's a cord of redemption, that there is a cord of mercy that flows throughout the Bible, the whole scripture from beginning to end, from the Passover lamb in Exodus 12 to the scarlet cord in Joshua 2, all the way through to the blood of Jesus on the cross. God's grace and mercy run throughout the Bible. In Joshua 6.25, that last verse I told you to hold on to, we're told that Rahab was not only saved along with her family, but that they lived among the Israelites. Think about that verse we read in Ephesians. Our God is rich in mercy. He didn't just save her. He gave her a new people, a new home, a new God. And we know that an Israelite man named Salmon married Rahab, and they had a son named Boaz. And Boaz married a woman named Ruth. Okay, now don't miss this. Ruth was also not an Israelite. She was a Moabite widow and Boaz's mother was also not an Israelite. So he would have known that he needed to look past just the fact that she wasn't an Israelite and look at her heart for God. And so the mercy that God extended to Rahab flows down through her generations in mercy that's now extended on Ruth. But Boaz and Ruth had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David, King David. 
Rahab was the great, great grandmother of King David. Last week, Brad pointed out in his sermon that our God is a God that is with this insignificant. This prostitute, this Canaanite, this woman was seen as insignificant by her culture. But God not only saved her, he included her as one of his people and grafted her into the lineage of Jesus. He not only saved her, he honored her. God saw her and knew her when nobody else did, when nobody else saw her, when nobody else cared about her. That is God's mercy. That is grace. That is good news. The second story I want to share with you today is found in the New Testament, and it's the story of a woman that doesn't have a name. She's not named in this. We know her as the woman at the well. She was also a woman that was marginalized in three ways. She was a Samaritan, she was a woman, and she was divorced at least five times and was living with a man that she wasn't married to. This story is found in John chapter four, but instead of reading it to you, I want you to watch it. So Josh, will you go ahead and play that video? Give me a drink. Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat. So you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to throw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, 
What do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Wrong story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. <gasps> exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <sighs> Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married, but he wasn't a good man. He hurt you, and it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me.
You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. Jesus intentionally crossed racial, religious, and gender barriers to show that God is for everyone. That's one of the things I wanted you to remember. God is for everyone. And if we're his disciples, if we claim to follow him, then we're going to crush those barriers as well. When Jesus asked the woman for a drink, she knew what that meant. In their world, giving and receiving water was an open invitation to talk, an open invitation to relationship. She pushed back, reminding him of their differences, but Jesus didn't let that stop him. He pushed forward to let her know that he came for her too. She was willing to settle for less. She was happy with a man that could dump her any day. She was happy with a warm drink from the well, but Jesus wanted to give her more. He wanted her to know that God's grace and mercy was for her too. Jesus saw this Samaritan woman who was rejected by others and he knew her when nobody else did. She expressed belief in the Messiah and he wanted her to know that it didn't matter where she came from or what she had done. She was not rejected by him. That is grace. That is mercy. That is God and Jesus. And that is good news. In the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that God's judgment and mercy coexist. God's character is consistent throughout the Old and New Testament. His mercy and his grace are all throughout the Bible. And we see that consistency in the stories of Rahab and the woman at the well. Neither of these women are remembered for their sin, but rather for the transformation that they went through because of the mercy and grace of God. And we see it in our lives as Jesus sees and knows us when no one else does and transforms us to be more like him. And may we reflect that same mercy and grace to the people around us. Um, we've gone um, quite long already today, and so I'm not going to take time for questions, but if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out and ask, because I'll be happy to have those conversations. Um, but let's pray, and then we'll be done for today. God, I thank you that we see your grace and your mercy all throughout the Bible. I thank you that you showed it to us over and over and over again so we would get it. Um, I pray that we'll be people that are full of mercy and grace towards others. 
Um, God, I want to pray for Debbie and for her family and the loss of her mother. I pray that you would give her comfort and peace um, during this time. I pray for people that are still without electricity, people that still can't drink their water, um, people that have lost loved ones during this time. I pray, God, for your provision and your comfort, and I pray that you would use us um, to be people that bring that to them. Um, I pray that as we go throughout our week, that we will worship you. We'll worship you in all kinds of ways, and we'll worship you through the way that we love people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.